Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to season two of Welfare, the weekly running podcast with me, Amy Lane. Whether you're just starting out or out to PB, what you need to help you on your training journey, you'll find right here. From tracking your runs to syncing your miles with your menstrual cycle, my expert guests have you covered. Each week, you'll get the news you can use, expert interviews, and a well-chilled guided cool-down session so you can finish every run strong. By subscribing to this podcast, you've already taken the first step. So now let's take the next one too. Let go of the beliefs that you can't do it and let's learn how you can. Welcome back to Welfare Season 2, everyone. I am so happy to be back in this studio doing the podcast again. It's been such a great year and one that's been made so enjoyable by you sharing every step of your running journey with me on Instagram. All of the Medal Monday posts and Sunday Runday posts, hashtag welfare, have kept me entertained and happy through the summer months. And to keep things moving forward, we've switched up the show format this season. Now, every episode will start with some news that you can use to help out your running journey, and it will end with a guided stretch. So many of you told me you were listening to the show on your run, so I wanted to help you recover right. If you love the run chats, don't fret, they are coming back. You'll find them at the end of season two as a bumper mini-series. For the first episode of Welfare Season 2, I head into the studio with Fletch, founder of One Track Run Club. His insight on why you shouldn't be running every run at the same pace is invaluable, no matter whether you're running a 5k, 10k, half marathon or marathon. Plus... Do listen to the end because my good friend Annie is the first person who's going to be helping you out with tight hammies and calves. Annie's yoga, both in real life and on YouTube, never fails to make me feel better in body and mind. So I really hope that you guys love that session. Right then, let's get on with today's show. For the first, news that you can use, I've got something that will make you pause for thought. Owning a dog could be key to not skipping runs. Yep, that's right, guys. According to the University of Chichester, the prospect of running with a dog gives you more motivation to get up and go, basically turning good intentions into action. Plus, the actual act of running with a four-legged friend could be better at dialing down bad moods than just running solo. It's why I've been badgering my husband for the last week to get a cavapoo. Anyway... Let's leave the dogs behind and let's head into the studio for our first expert. Welcome to the studio, Ant. Thank you very much. Are you Ant or are you Anthony? I'm neither. You're neither. I'm Fletch. Oh, you're Fletch. See, that's the thing. I call you Fletch <laughs> and then I was like, shall I try and be your business to kick off this podcast or shall <laughs> never, I not? <laughs> never. Never business. Okay, let's just go back to how we call each other on the running track. So, hi Fletch. Hey, how are you going, Amy? I'm good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to today's show. So, I am so excited to have you here because we have got a massive topic on the agenda very excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I today want to talk about how to train for a 5k, a 10k, a half marathon or a marathon. 
Right. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure, yeah. <laughs> because obviously there is quite a big difference between all those races, but actually it's often those races which kicks off a running journey for a lot of people. So for everyone who's listening, who's perhaps just signed up for a race, be it a 5k, a 10k, a half marathon or a marathon, how should they all be kicking off their running journey? Ooh, okay, so... <laughs> massive. Um, yeah, massive question. I think well, the, the first thing to discuss is that if you've signed up for a race for the very first time, the emotions are probably the same, whether it's a 5K, a half marathon or a full marathon. The intention was to challenge yourself and therefore you felt that weight race was a, enough of a challenge to accept. So congratulations, I think, for one. Mm. Uh, two, I think, it really depends on where you are in your journey. The biggest thing to try and incorporate is how many hours do you have in the week to dedicate to this? Yeah. Is it going to be something you have one hour every single day that you can put forward to it? Like in London, unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> or anywhere else, like life gets in the way. So do you have three hours you can dedicate to it? What are you going to do in those three hours that are safe, uh, that are going to get you to the start line, prepared, and remember, you're not going to try to break a world record. You're just going to try and get yourself to start and then to finish. So what's the minimum of effective dose to get you to enjoy it mm. and to actually get that medal around your neck without hating running at the end? That's so true because I'm very guilty of in the past of trying to fit my lifestyle like into a training plan yeah. rather than fitting my training plan into my lifestyle and actually what happens is for two weeks I'm like I'm smashing it <laughs> and then suddenly like life gets in in the way and all those things which I hadn't been doing because I'd yeah. been running you have to do and then suddenly you're not running at all so you've yeah. gone from like you've had two perfect training weeks and then suddenly you fall off a cliff yeah <laughs> exactly and and that cliff can be for a number of reasons it can be suddenly work's picked up and sleep's then now become a problem and therefore you can't get yourself motivated to go for a run or the run doesn't happen because you're now working away from home or there's a multitude of reasons as to why a run can't happen I think the biggest bit of advice for new runners is don't play catch up. Right. Don't try and fit that session in elsewhere. Just kind of write it off and then get back on program when you can. Like, there's no pressure. You're not trying to take on Mo Farah or <laughs> <laughs> anyone of any sort. You're just trying to get yourself to the start line. If there are people listening that have, aren't running mm. at all, is it advisable to sign up for a marathon? It would depend right. on when they're planning on doing that marathon. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> if you're signing up now for 2024, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> if you're signing up with like six weeks to go, then no, I would definitely not recommend it. It would be, again, a conversation. And I think this is where a lot of people make a decision in their head first and then go and find someone who can tell them that they were right, right. in doing it. Oh, how can I do it? Well, this is how you do it. Rather than, I've got an idea, I'm going to go to a professional and see if this is actually going to work. Mm -hmm. And we'll get a lot of people coming to us and going, oh, I'm looking to run a marathon. I was like, cool, where are you at right now? How, what's your longest run you've done? What's your feelings towards running? Like, do, you, do you enjoy it? Do you use it as a therapy? Do you like the idea of going out for a hard run, an easy run? And then we can start to think, okay, maybe you'll be ready in about six months or maybe you can actually go now and be 12 weeks of training and be ready because you've got a background to it. If you're a brand new runner, it would be irresponsible to put yourself on that start line with less than six months work. Mm. 
Because what you've just said there is, it's really important to know where you're at. So rather than just focusing on that end goal, it's like, where are you right now? Yeah, and that's exactly what we see. We see a lot of people that are sometimes even mentally fit. They're able to push through and, and to really get the most out of their body but their body has to adapt to that. Mo Farah is not going to be the best person in the pool, for example. They're two different sports. Because you're gym fit or if you're a cyclist, like you said, it doesn't mean you're going to be a good runner or able to take the load of running. So you have to get your body to become finely tuned to running. And is there a big difference in running a 5K, which potentially might be going for speed, to running a half marathon or a marathon, which is endurance? I would potentially argue that now a half marathon is no longer an endurance run. Right. I would argue that some of the speeds these guys are running at now, it's basically the longest form of sprint you can do. Yeah. Uh, You look at the current world record is 58 minutes and odd seconds. Uh, That is a ridiculous number. That's like my 10K time. Right. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm lucky. (laughs) So obviously we're comparing the elites to like average Joes like us, but still... I think the sport has changed. It's I, I'm I'm, a, I'm an absolute geek. So uh, in my spare moments, when I was looking after our our new baby, uh, just googled what the last hundred years looked like in regards to world records for the hundred, the four hundred, the uh, kilometer, the ten k, up to the marathon, and the progression the marathon's gone mm. is huge. It's a thirty percent increase in pace. In 100 years. And even more so for women, right? Correct. And this is the, the beautiful thing. Actually, women are much more designed for the longer endurance stuff. The female athlete is really starting to come into their own now. Uh, there's a whole other discussion around energy and fueling and those things that come into it. But I think the 5K is a, it's a beautiful race because anyone can do it. If it's your first ever run experience, I really suggest doing a 5K first because it's and a race you can do in the morning, you can go see your friends in the afternoon, you can go and see and have dinner in the evening. It may be the hardest thing you've ever done, but your body can bounce back from it pretty quickly. The marathon is a, a much bigger ordeal for the body. Yeah, <laughs> so. I can attest to that. <laughs> so regardless of distance, I know we've just spoken about 5k and a marathon and a half marathon. What should be part of all training plans? Because I think that's one of the things which maybe people don't really realise. Yeah, I think the biggest thing we don't get given in a generic like charity runner situation is a strength program. We don't get the advice that we do, oh, you should be doing a tempo run here and a hill run here and a long run there, but oh, some strength work at some point would be great. We don't get the same amount of advice. So I think tr- strength training is integral. You can boost your what we call VO2 max, your ability to push on further and harder just from strength training alone, let alone actually running. I think that's the one thing that gets ignored a lot. People are so focused on the mileage and so focused on, I've got to get running, I've got to get running, but they forget that their legs need to be strong, their core needs to be on, they need to be able to join these body parts together. And that can mostly come from training the brain and muscle, which is strength training. And is that where biomechanics can play a part? (laughs) (laughs) That's a bit of a mouthful to say. (laughs) Uh, It can. It can. What we do as part of the biomechanics uh, screening is we'll look at the pelvis, the spine, the shoulders, the nerves that interact with those areas, the muscles that move them, and the actual joints that are being moved. And just understand, is this person at the right capacity to take on certain programs or strength movements? 
So if someone has a rotated pelvis and that's created one leg longer than the other, suddenly their squat is very different to the person that has a level pelvis or an unrotated pelvis and can perform a squat fine. Um, individuality, I think, is the big thing that we need to try and focus in on more. And is it too late once you've got injured and then you come for a screening? No, not no. at all. Well, if it's if the race day's in three days' time, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it's never too late to understand why you may have been injured. I think that's the big thing is not to suggest that there's a wrong way of doing things, but I think naming the injury is a slight waste of time. We don't really need to know what it's called, but we need to know the mechanisms of why it's there. So, for example, we've got a, a knee problem. We, you may go and see someone and they're like, ah, that's a runner's knee. Here we go. Here's, here's the runner's knee program. When actually people can present with the same thing, but it's there for a different reason. So the big emphasis around screening is individuality. Why did you get injured in that place? And then can we work together to try and get yourself out of that? And I think the biggest thing is, is you take control of it yourself. Right. You will see someone who will give you the tools to correct it and you go away and work on it. If you're relying on someone to fix you, then you're not understanding why it happened in the first place. You're becoming dependent on a professional rather than independent. There's a really good interview with a lady called Dominique Scott, who is a NCAA 5K and 10K champion right now. So she's got them both at the same time, the same way Mo Farah got the double gold. Right. It's, she's in the same form, but not in the Olympics. And she said the biggest thing that influenced her running was doing the basics, doing those activations, doing her warm-up drills, doing her nutrition with the advice that she was given, doing her sleep monitoring. It wasn't go and run more. It wasn't get stronger. It was just doing the small things that we know we should do, but we just neglect and do you think that's important at any distance? So whether, Correct. yeah. 100%. And even more so where the faster pace is. Because right. as soon as you run faster, you're absorbing more force and more load. So if you are picking up your pace, but in the same conversation, you're picking up your mileage, it's even more important to focus in on the recovery or prehab, as we've, we've coined about a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> People do love the term prehab. Yeah. As a professional, what, mm. do you, what do you say prehab is? I say prehab is the ability to understand where the performance leaks are. So, for example, like we said earlier on, if you have one leg longer than the other and the discussion can be endless about whether that exists or not, was it your mum and dad's fault or is it something that you've created? Is it a, a functional difference that's come through work, previous injury, your training programming or whatever it might be, or is that genetic? If it's one, there's a very easy way of working with it it's you, we can't change it. If it's the other, then it can maybe a corrective exercise conversation. And by understanding that, that compensation for that particular thing, we then can prevent the excess load on one particular joint through asymmetry. I try to explain that as best as, <laughs> as simply as <laughs> no, possible. No, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that does make total sense also because I've been told in the past that obviously that normally when you when you get an injury somewhere, it's because that area of the body has been overworking to compensate from, for a weak area. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and strong and weak can be argued as well. It could be that one side is too strong and yeah. then the opposing muscle is therefore weak because of that. Uh, weakness is a potentially a subjective symptom as much as tight. 
Yeah. So you've mentioned quite a few things which are quite techy, to be honest, mm. like prehab. And obviously that isn't accessible to a lot of people. Or is it like, is there a place where people can go to learn about this without booking in for like one to one PTs? Because that, that's expensive. Yeah, for sure. I think prehab, unfortunately, is a bit like plastering. There's people out there that do a great job and there's other people that don't do a great job. And prehab is an opinion at the end of the day. Like I see how some people run and I form an opinion about how that is. And other people see the exact same person run and form a different opinion. So ultimately... If you think something's going wrong or you think something's going on, then do a little bit of research. Unlikely form will fix problems. However, you may offload a joint a little bit by changing how you run. There's a key thing to try and find credible people to learn from. And they are on internet, through Instagram, Twitter. If you are into research papers, finding some research that you want to read and understand a bit more about the sport. And is that what you bring into your track club, One Track, this idea of that you teach people form and how to run properly? In a way, yes. We've got a plethora of abilities. We've got people who are just starting out, who are trying to attempt their first 5K or their first park run or whatever it might be. And then we've got people who are tackling like Marathon de Saab and MTB, uh, UTMB, sorry, and other such races that we would never want to try. <laughs> so there's a real plethora of, of abilities there. And we just try and educate them as much as possible. And how does interval training play a big part in all of these different distances? Because they are so different. Mm. So if we have this ability to remember that the human body is a machine and we have this fuel that we can inject and this work rate we can output, it kind of works in the same way as if you were sitting on a bike and you have a hill in front of you and you're working up that hard hill, if you've never been there before, your body's not going to respond in the same way. You're probably going to burn out. Same in a marathon. If you haven't gone to those hard bits before in your mind, then you might not succeed at that particular effort level. So interval training, from a psychological point of view, puts you in an uncomfortable environment that you can't always get by yourself. Yeah. So that's why we do it as a group, for one. Two, physiologically speaking, it gets a lot of bang for your buck. So it's efficient because you will be, rather than a four-hour long run yeah. <laughs> that you might be doing on the weekend, you can cover it within an hour or actually working for around 35 minutes. But you're able to get your heart rate to a, a decent level. You're looking at around about 90% of your max heart rate. You're pushing your body to a point where it's producing more chemistry that you need to become more efficient at getting rid of. So interval training is a great environment to test your body out and be able to create the things that make the sport tough and become more resilient to them. Yeah, I mean, when I've been down to track sessions, it really has pushed me. <laughs> when you were like, yeah, it's really tough, I was thinking, you haven't really thrown up a couple of times on the track. <laughs> Um, Nearly, you won't go enough. <laughs> <laughs> like, what would you? Uh, what is there any kind of like example interval session which you could share with us? What is the type of things that you get people to do on the track? When we first started out, we had um, a lot of newbie runners coming down. So what we try to do is balance the environment. If you're new to interval training, longer, slower intervals are better. Interval training has this massive broad spectrum of programs but we get really hung up on the whole like 2010 
like the whole Tabata style. Yeah. Sprint for 20, rest for 10, eight times, done. And that's unfortunately a very small compartment of interval training. And anything that can be up to like 10 minutes in a single block with an adequate recovery repeated technically counts as interval training. So if you imagine now you're a newbie runner, uh, we get people to do a four-minute block with a two-minute recovery potentially four times. And that is a safer environment than saying go as fast as you can for 30 seconds, rest for 15 and do that six times. But obviously what you're trying to do is track what your body's doing at that time. So you're looking at like nine out of 10 effort. Right. And within the first minute and a half, you're still building up. Your heart rate's catching up with what you're doing and your body's kind of along for the ride. But then about a minute and a half, you should be at that point of, okay, I'm really working now. And then you're holding it for the next two and a half minutes. And I think the newbie runner gets stuck in this hallway of too hard or not hard enough. Mm. Your ability to push a little bit harder than you should but not quite as hard as you have to. And you get stuck at like 70 to 85%. Mm. And there's no real let up. There's no dip so your body can recover. There's no high so your body can adapt. It's just constantly chipping away at your body systems. So that's what we try and teach at uh, the one track is that it's, we have a much more polarized approach where when you're supposed to be working easy, you work easy. Right. And there's some great apps out there uh, that talk about these kind of things and i'm a big fan of polar with their bluetooth heart rate monitors and the polar app it's a really inexpensive way of tracking your heart rate so polar beat is a really good app that we use for a lot of our athletes who are doing quite indoor stuff and i monitor them at distance when they're doing outdoor stuff but you can see where your heart rate is and which zone is at live time and i would like you to be in the blue as much as possible if you're going easy or maybe green depending on where we are and if you're supposed to be working hard, then you're in the red. So that polar opposite approach is what we try and advise. And do you think that's important across any distance? So understanding at what heart rate you should be working at or just how it should feel? Because I do know that a lot of runners know, like whether you sign up for a 10K and it's your first 10K, whether you sign up for a marathon, everyone tends to go out and just run at the same speed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> 100%. And I think every run should have an objective. Right. So when you're going out and it's supposed to be a a hard run, it's it's going to be a hard run. And you should probably monitor how hard you're going in some form. If it's supposed to be an easy run, then it's supposed to be an easy run. You're supposed to be comfortable, maybe even, maybe even conversational. Who knows? Uh, but I think this is where tracking sometimes goes wrong, is that Heart rate is very influenced by how your body is on that day. So I say, okay, you want to keep your heart rate below 145. That can change on a daily basis. And you've you've had lots of sleep and you're feeling great, that might be quicker. So then you're like, oh, I'm running really fast. I should slow down. When actually if you're feeling fine and you're sticking within the parameters, then probably carry on. But if you're not feeling great, don't push on. Yeah. So kind of training by how your body feels if you haven't got access to to tracking kit, which the East African runners haven't had for hundreds of years and are still yeah. the best in the world, uh, go by how your body feels. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I um I last 
I've started looking at my heart rate f- uh, like this year properly on runs. I did use, did use it a little bit last year, mm. but this year I've been using it a lot since having a, some great conversations with experts like yourself. And then I was um, had a conversation with Laura Muir earlier this year and she was saying how much she uses heart rate tracking on runs to make sure that she does run easy. Mm. And I thought... Okay, cool. I'm going to give this a go. (laughs) I was doing a long run uh, last weekend in Greenwich. Oh, yeah. And it's so hilly. And for (laughs) once in my life, I was looking at my heart rate. And like as soon as I started to go up the hill, it obviously just shot up. So then it did force me to slow down. And I think I wish I hadn't. I wish I had done that more in the early days of my running. So that when I was running these big long runs for marathon training, that it did all kind of it was it was easy across the whole run as opposed to probably a third of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's a thing called the VT1, which is basically the point where your body stops using that lovely fuel source called fat and starts to transition to using carbohydrates, your big, powerful fuel source that you use to fuel your sprinting. So, for example, my VT1 is probably a lot lower than your VT1 because I haven't done a huge amount of base work. I'm. Uh, I love sprinting fast. <laughs> that was my thing. I think this is the thing we need to remember: is everyone's individual, and we have training partners, we have running partners, but we we all need to be able to be aware of how hard we're working, irrelevant of of kit sometimes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So this is a bit of a big question because we're tackling so many distances today. But we've spoken about hard runs and we've spoken about easy runs and knowing how they feel. But what kind of ratio of hard run to easy run should you be doing in a general training week? Or is there no answer to that because it's going to be very different for a 5k to a marathon? I I think it's almost the impossible question because it is an N equals one. like It's a very individual circumstance. However... If you're just looking at non non person orientated, just the distance alone, then more than likely the five kilometer is faster than the marathon. So you're looking at probably doing a few more harder runs from a ratio in your five k program than you are. We're looking at your marathon program. However, some people need to have more hard runs in their marathon program early on because they can't keep up with the mileage they might need. Mm. So you can save a little bit of time in the bank and get some hard work done with low mileage. Or if you've done loads of base work previously and you need to run a bit harder to pick up the neurological stuff 
that makes you run faster, you might have to run a bit harder and you would then pick up the high intensity stuff early on. So I think the unfortunate thing is on my gravestone, it will always read, it depends. (laughs) 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 Because it really does. And I think that's the beauty of a coach is the AI algorithmic stuff that's coming up is great, but it does not individualize stuff that well just yet. There is so many things that uh, a coach can have a conversation around and pick out bits of information that are specific to that person and we can get a starting point. Where do we need to start with you? Is it we're going to start with some high intensity work first and then build in a little bit of a long run easy session to try and get a bit of a a blend Mm -hmm. or are we going to start with volume are we going to start getting your mileage up becoming comfortable running for an hour easy and then start working harder towards the the end of the program slash taper so it depends (laughs) it depends i like that and you've actually just touched on something i wanted to ask you about so one of my biggest fears when i first signed up for a race a few years ago was running for an hour or longer than 60 minutes Mm. like I couldn't get my head around it because up until that point fitness for me had been defined by hour long classes or 45 minute long classes and I was like say what you want me to run (laughs) for 90 minutes (laughs) how do you coach people to get past those kind of mental barriers and is there anything that they can they can do in their fitness maybe to help it or yeah I think uh we we get compartmentalized into this is how long you need to run for and we forget there is a progression to that yeah so it depends (laughs) what your starting point is if you've never run for longer than 10 minutes an hour almost seems impossible so you're going to start with 15 20 25 30 35 40 in which case your training program may be a bit longer Mm. than someone else if your longest run is currently 45 minutes it's not such a big jump So I think proof in the pudding, go out, relax, take it easy and start to build it up gradually. We see so many things that crop up from doing way too much too soon, injury being one of them. So I think the biggest bit of advice I can ever give is do what you feel comfortable doing and then just nudge the needle in the right direction. So if you've done a 30 minute run, brilliant do a 33 minute run or like there's no need to make big jumps is the 10 percent rule a thing and so for everyone listening in that doesn't know what that is (laughs) the rule is is that you shouldn't increase mileage or intensity or duration by longer than 10 percent each week i think the unfortunate thing is there are no rules there is no hard line in the sand anything above 20 percent increase in what we call training load Mm. which incorporates mileage intensity and uh, volume that then increases your risk of injury quite a lot. So there's a bracket to work with in between 10 and 20%. The more you go towards 20%, the more risky you are, the more you play towards 10%, potentially the safer you are. Uh, I tend to work with a 10 to to 15% increase. But the other conversation is, should that be an exponential growth? Should you keep increasing by 10% all the way up? And I believe the answer is no. So what we tend to work with with when we do online programming with OneTrack is we will do a 10% increase from your benchmark. Mm-hmm. So week two is 10% higher than week one. Then week three, maybe 10% higher than week two, but week four is only 5% increased on week one. 
Because otherwise you'd be adding on the 10%, the 10%, the 10%, Exactly. 10%. Nothing works linearly. Uh, we can't keep on doing more and more and more and more and more. We have to give the body a little bit of a deload in order to push forward again. So is that like why you would have a week, which is, I say, at week four, you, that is a week of lower mileage. Correct. And then you push back up again. Correct. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that people miss out on sometimes. A lot of the training programs don't even incorporate it. Potentially just have this linear growth all the way up to marathon or even 5K sometimes. And we, f we forget that the, the body needs a little bit of time off. Doesn't mean you can back off the intensity though. Sometimes you can actually increase intensity during that week of lower mileage. As, lo as long as the, the training load, which is a calculation that's easily managed, uh, is, is appropriate. So you might be doing less miles, but you might be doing, say, more interval training. Perfect time for it. <laughs> um, I have a question with interval training because it seems to fit into the plan, whatever your distance. Can it be done on a treadmill or should you always do it on a track? Um, I think it's a little bit like comparing riding on a motorbike and driving a car. Right. It's it's similar. Yeah. <laughs> but they're different sports. Okay. I think treadmill running has a place for everyone's program if they like it or if they're able to, to do it. You can do a 45-minute session on a treadmill and bore the hell out of yourself by just sticking to one speed and watching Netflix. <laughs> and I don't think that's where we should use the treadmill. I think we should use the treadmill to really break up a run and get really nerdy and detailed about what kind of speeds we should be using and why. And like we said earlier on, those beginner interval sessions, like four minutes on, two minutes off, are fantastic for a treadmill because it's just consistent. Mm. I've been recently using um, an app on app for like treadmill running because right. um, I haven't been able to get to the track and I did I, I, I love the track um, <laughs> I do love the track because actually it was the one time during my training before when I was part of a community yep. and I wasn't doing stuff by myself um, but I have unfortunately not been able to get there at the moment because life's busy so I've been trying to do it on a treadmill and then actually I was I had my own session written out um, but I still just found it a bit boring and then I found an audio coaching app. Right. And I actually just really love this guy coming in my ear here and he's like, now you need to go to like 8.5, 8 turn it up and 2% or whatever. <laughs> um, so it is a really structured session. Yeah. Um, so I enjoy it for that. And I know what you mean. Like if you just go to a treadmill and you just you just slog along for 45 minutes, what's the point? So if you have some structure to it. Um, 100%, yeah. And we were, it was coined, I think... Uh, most people that say they would call themselves a runner uh, have called it the dreadmill for ages because <laughs> it's just like sit on there, oh, slog away, see you later. Uh, but like you said, it's an ability to make it interesting and there's such a vibe you can get from a treadmill that you might not get on a track. Some people don't enjoy track because of the competitive edge. They feel like they've joined the wrong community and, they're, and they're, people are too fast or people... Uh, don't like the competitive edge so they can just stick themselves in the corner of a room listen to an online app which of which there are many now yeah um and and just get the work done their own way i definitely did mine to the greatest shame when the the, the other day oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i definitely sang out loud so this is me. Yeah. <laughs> over all of the distances what's the one non-negotiable when it comes to either before a run or after a run during training do you have any preparation okay i think preparation is key and and that comes on uh, covers the numbers of a number of sins i think uh nutrition preparing your nutrition have you eaten properly 
if you haven't had time to eat beforehand, then what can you get in quickly before you go? Right. Uh, if you have certain exercises you need to do before you run, do them. Do everything you need to do to prepare yourself to perform. So just getting up and putting your trainers on and dashing out the door fasted probably isn't the best for performance. If it's a hard run, then no. no. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need that fuel, especially if you're having a more intense run, then your body needs that fuel source. It, it may be easier if it's like a slow, steady, paced, relaxing run that you might have to do, then you, you might get away with it. But I think as people start to pick up things and get more involved and start to tackle higher speeds than they need to really prepare. Definitely prepare. And what about tiredness? Obviously, you have a 10-month-old baby, Theo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been a real lesson in sleep deprivation, for sure. And I think we've had a, a slightly different situation to begin with. Uh, not all parents go through the same situation, but no word of a lie, it's been, it's been tough. And I haven't trained for those 12 months, right. actually, because... I would be building up stress on all levels. You have to learn to back off sometimes. So if people are really people that are listening in that are super tired, they've had a really busy week and they're really tired, would you say potentially don't train uh, first thing in the morning <laughs> to get some more sleep in? Or what's your kind of views on that? Um, I think there's ways you can manipulate your training. So if you are working... Say, for example, you've had a really bad night's sleep uh, or the baby's been up all night and you've barely slept. If you have a 10K run planned at race pace, that's probably not going to happen. More than likely, step outside, put a couple of miles in the legs. Don't stress yourself out. Dare I say, enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> and and go home successful and put some money in the bank right. rather than stress yourself out and try and hit that pace you were told to hit from that plan that doesn't know you <laughs> and and chip away at that health. So we are tackling so many distances today, mm. but is there a common, not common mistake, I'm going to say, that a lot of runners make regardless of distance when they start on a training journey? Yeah, I think there's uh, uh, a human habit for <laughs> familiarisation. Like, I've got my route. I do my route. <laughs> it's 10K exactly. I'm just going to do that every single time. I'm going to get far faster. I'm going to do it more and more and more. When actually we know there's a, a, a monotony to the body that almost can predict your injury risk. So if you do the same thing every single time and you do the same route at the same intensity with uh, the same preparation, then more than likely you're going to set yourself up for a fall. So... A piece of advice, maybe, just to keep changing things up all the time. You might jump and do, if you have no pro, no program, no coach, no plan, nothing, just change something every single time. And do a little bit more some weeks, do a little bit less other weeks. Because that in itself can actually be injury prevention. Yeah, because I would say that uh, we're often quite lazy, aren't we? So <laughs> we just take the comfortable route. Yeah. And I know when I've been out on a, like a, which has been planned as like a tempo run or something. And it's like, and I have to run for two minutes and then run slow, like run hard for two minutes and then run slow. I'm like, oh, why can't I just do a normal 5K? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. There is a really key reason why the human body would burn a calorie. A single calorie is like spending a pound. So if you're going to spend a pound, it better be for a good reason. Same thing for the body. If it's going to burn a calorie, it better be for a good reason. Uh, that's... 
in my humble opinion, is why fitness drops off so much quicker than it does gain. So people come, like, come back all the time from holiday and they're like, oh, I've taken like two weeks off and it's really hard to get back into. I feel so unfit. It's really inefficient to be fit. So I think that's where it's a sign that it's really hard to get those fitness gains because you're challenging your body to burn more calories just by sitting there. More yeah. muscle mass, uh, a, a high use of oxygen, all those kind of things cost. There's, a, there's always a cost of doing business. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? How many how many more calories you can burn with muscle mass? <laughs> yeah, right. That's it. Crazy. For anyone though who isn't in London mm. and wants help remotely and can't afford a personal run coach or a PT, is there any way that they can get in touch with you or they can potentially be coached by One Track? Yeah, absolutely. We're launching our online programming, so they just drop us an email through the website and. They just tell us what, exactly what distance they're training for and we'll ask a load of questions in regards to their current status and what they've done and blah, blah, blah. And we're working with a number of coaches. So it's not just me. There's a number of coaches that we work with on a very combined level and we'll be able to design a program for them very effectively. Great. And what's the URL? It is OneTrack.club. Easy, guys. <laughs> we will also put that in the show notes. So if you need an online coach, definitely, definitely, definitely go to today's show notes and the URL will be there for you and you can just click straight through and get yourself on a really good running journey. Whoop. Whoop. <laughs> Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Hello, I'm Annie Clark. Welcome to this well far cool down stretch session. I'm a yoga teacher based in London, but last year I ran London Marathon and I found this little sequence incredibly helpful for opening up my hips, my hamstrings and the sides of my body. So I hope you enjoy it too. So just get yourself comfortable. You might want to take off your shoes, perhaps your socks, uh, but grab a layer. So just have something nearby as you start to cool down so that you can kind of regulate your body temperature a little bit. And then when you're ready, you can just come to stand with the feet hip width apart. Notice if you've got tension in your jaw, tension in your shoulders. See if you can just let those soften without much force. And notice the way that the breath is moving in and out of the body and as you stand here feet grounding spreading the toes lengthening the spine just use the breath as your focus so notice the way that it breathes in and notice the way that it falls out of the body this natural rhythm of breath, perhaps beginning to slow as the body starts to calm and slow again. Next time you breathe in, start to reach the hands over your head. Catch hold of the right wrist in the left hand and pour the body to the left side so you start to stretch through the right side of the body. Keep the right foot grounding down so you're kind of rooted and connected through the sole of your foot and then lengthening out of both sides of the waist so without collapsing in the left side, keep both sides of the body long. 
breath in. And as you exhale, come back to centre. You can release the hands by the sides, give them a little bit of a shake out, soften the shoulders, relax the jaw. And then take it onto the other side. So inhale, reaching the arms over your head. Take hold of the left wrist with the right hand. And then pour the body gently over to the right side. And just breathe. Feel the breath lengthening the side body. Take another couple of breaths here. And next time you breathe in, come back to centre. Release the hands, maybe give them a bit of a shake. Root down through both feet, raise the arms over your head, inhale. This time interlace the hands behind your back. So interlacing the fingers and using that interlace to draw the hands down towards the heels. So spreading through the front of the chest. Relax the shoulders a little so you're not rounding the upper back, just opening up through the front of the body, softening the back of the body. Maybe a gentle back bend, keep rooting down through the heels, lifting up. And then release the hands. Take them in front of you, interlace the fingers again, but keep the palms facing you, the backs of the hands facing away. And then push through the shoulder blades, so you're rounding through the upper back. Almost as if you're hugging a tree trunk or something in between your arms, really rounding through the upper body. Take a breath in and then just let that go. And then inhale, raise the arms over your head. Fold forwards, gently hinging at the hips, really soften the knees so you release the lower back. The hands come towards the floor, they don't have to be on the floor and you can just sway from side to side, bend one knee, then the other. And then lengthen the spine halfway, so place the hands onto the shins, the spine lengthens. And as you exhale, place the hands onto the floor and step the feet back to a downward facing dog, so an inverted V shape, keeping your knees soft lengthening the tailbone away from these shoulders so you've got this long spine soft knees and start to pedal one heel then the other heel towards the ground so you're sort of gently moving through the hips opening up through the backs of the legs and then come to settle between the feet and raise the right leg high Use that lift of the right leg to step the foot between the palms at the top of the mat. And if it doesn't step all the way through, you can use your hand to help it through. So then the foot is underneath the knee, right foot underneath the knee. And the left knee drops down to the ground. Now squeeze the inner thighs towards the midline of the body. And you can either rest your hands onto the top of the right thigh. Or you can reach them up over your head. So you're starting to stretch through the front of the left hip and use the rhythm of the breath to find a comfort here. So don't take the stretch somewhere that you have to grit your teeth to hold. Just allow the breath to flow easily and let the depth of the pose be controlled by the breath. 
you want a little bit more stretch, you can take hold of the left wrist in the right hand and gently pour the body over to the right side, just like we did standing a moment ago. And breathe. Let's take another inhale. And as you exhale, come back to center. If the arms are reaching high, let them come down either side of your right foot. You're going to peel onto the right heel and send your hips backwards in space, starting to straighten the right leg, taking a hamstring stretch. So the toes come away from the floor and peel towards your torso. Try to lengthen out of the waist, draw your shoulder blades down the back of the body. And breathe. Again, letting the breath be the guide as to how deep you take the pose. I just notice how it feels here. Listen to the body. And then start to bend the right knee bringing the weight forwards. You're gonna tuck the back toes, lift the back knee and step to a downward facing dog. Have a little pedal through the hips, through the knees. Just shake it out a little bit. If you wanna raise the right leg out, you can shake it, let it go, release. And then place the foot back down to the floor and we'll repeat on the other side. So use the inhale to raise the left leg. And then step that left leg between the palms, helping it through if you need to. Squeeze everything in towards the center so you're supported, you're not collapsing into the lower back here. And then placing the hands onto the thigh or reaching them up over the head. Maybe you take hold of the right wrist with the left hand and gently pour the body over to the left side only if it's not too intense on the right hip. And just breathe. Take a couple more breaths. Listen to the body. And then gently start to peel the hips back in space as you straighten the left leg releasing the hands down either side of the foot, peeling your left toes towards you, stretching out through the back of the left leg. The spine stays long. It doesn't matter how deep you take the pose, just feel into what's right for you right now. And then slowly begin to bend into that left knee again. Place both hands either side of the left foot. Tuck your back toes, lift the knee, lift your hips and step back to a downward facing dog. And then gently lower the knees to the floor, separating the knees as wide as the hips. Send your hips to your heels for child's pose. Reaching the arms forward. Again, just moving the hips back towards the heels 
only as far as feels comfortable in the hips and the groin. And direct your breath low down in the body. Use the breath to find a sense of grounding, of calm, of stillness and support here. And then slowly walk your hands up towards your knees, onto the thighs, and just pause here for a breath. And just sit for a moment, letting the mind rest on the breath. Knowing there's nothing else that you need to do. And of course, if there are any other stretches or anything that would serve you well right now, then you can move there in your own time. But otherwise, you can gently tuck your toes, press the hands onto the floor, and slowly roll up the spine until you come to stand tall. Taking a deep breath in, and a big sigh to let it go. I hope you're feeling nice and relaxed after your run and your cool down. If you would like to do some more yoga with me, you can find me on YouTube by searching Annie Clark or on Instagram at mind underscore body underscore bowl. And hopefully we can practice together again soon. Namaste. And that, guys, I hope you really enjoyed our new cool down session. If you did, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. I know it's a bit annoying because all us podcasters ask for it all the time, but it really does help other runners and need us some help find the show and let them into our community. So please, you know, go on, leave me a comment and also hop over to IG and share your posts using hashtag welfare. I love seeing them. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.